Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This, this, this is, 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 is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Hiya, I'm Adam Catterall. Thank you for downloading episode six of the Fight Disciples podcast, The Lord of the Ring. Coming up on this week's show... Derry Matthews refuses to participate in a sing-song with me. No chance, mate. I don't do that karaoke stuff. Joe Gallagher reveals that he could have been in Take That. I remember Jason Orange. We were mates. He lived around the corner from me on a... Um, I was on Moat Road and he was on Brodo Road and he used to be body popping and spinning on his back in the front garden at the time and everything else. So he was 12, 13. And, and we look forward to Kel Brook doing a bit of baking. You're going to taste some nice chocolate brownies off me. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Now, before we start, I know that you're uh, thinking one thing. Where's Nick? Well, where are you, Nick? I'm in the northeast. Why? Uh, why not? <laughs> it's the uh, it, it's I'm up in doing a couple bit of work here this week, and obviously it's the uh, it's the big Geordie Derby this weekend as well. A fight to stay in the Premier League, so I'm hoping there's going to be a couple of fights breakouts. Yeah, but you're, you're you're not connected to the northeast football in any way, shape, or form. You're a Liverpool fan. You're up there. You're up there doing your day job, aren't you? That's what you're doing. That's it exactly. Making exactly. making sure here. that that magazine's bang on. Well, that's it. I'm celebrating my five-year anniversary as editor of Fighters Only this week, so I'm up here uh, cracking the whip, making sure no one's slacking. No, it ain't. You're up there because, exactly, it is the five-year anniversary. However, you think that they're going to take you out for a party. That's why you've gone <laughs> yeah, up there. Exactly. <laughs> no, no one's bought me a pint yet. I've been here three days. But, I mean, I'll tell you the tight up there, mate. They're all saving it for the weekend for that North East Arbor. That's what it is, mate. Yeah, um now, we've got two things to speak about mainly. First of all, uh, Derry Matthews, Terry Flanagan. Before I get your views, because I know you were there, uh, let's yeah. hear from the great man himself. Have you recovered yet? Yeah, I've recovered, yeah. I'm not talking about the fight, mate. I'm talking about yeah. your karaoke day out yesterday. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, that's, yeah I'm all right, mate. It's all good. What, uh, what tune did you go for yesterday? I don't sing, mate. I just let the lads do it. Why are you lying? I know that you were <laughs> up there. You were doing a bit. Come on. No, no chance, mate. I don't do that karaoke stuff. <laughs> Listen, let's talk uh, about the fight at the weekend, mate. Where's yeah, your the sad. dust? The dust has probably settled a little bit now. When yeah. you um, when you finished the fight and you obviously thanked the fans via your social media, you alluded that it might be the end of the road. You're not packing it in, are you? No, no. I, I want to go again. Uh, I want to sit down with my manager and my trainer Danny and, and Frank Warren. Um, hopefully, sometime next week, and then. You know, we can plan the, plan the next move, but, you know, I've I proved that I'm, I'm back. Well, I've proved that I, I, where I belong at, at the world level. Obviously, Terry's been, I think he's blasted his last five opponents out early on. And so, you know, I've proved that you know, I, I belong with the, on the big stage at, at, the, at the big fights. And, you know, fingers crossed that Frank can deliver again. He, he told me on Saturday night that um, there's going to be doors opening for me. So, you know... Hopefully, one of the one of the other champions might pick me as a volunteer defence. Yeah. If not, we could, you know, if you want the European titles available, or you know, maybe a final eliminator for, for one of the other titles. Firstly, if you want to hear more from Derry Matthews, make sure you hit subscribe button because that full length interview where we talk about his little trip holiday wise to Las Vegas uh, is up online now, so you can get your hands on it. Uh, Nick, great to hear. Derry in such great spirits uh, and most of all that he's not packing it in because I think he's still got another shot Yeah I think you're right and you guys touched on it there you know I think Derry's you know he's proven once again that he's genuine world class I think Terry Flanagan is probably the best lightweight world champion currently in the world um, and Derry took him the full distance and a lot of those fights a lot of those rounds sorry were pretty close I'm not saying for for a second, I thought Derry deserved to win the fight, 
But uh, a lot of those rounds were close. Uh, I think Terry went into the fight on the back of six stoppage defeats, the best one of his entire career. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm full of confidence as the, as the world champion, but uh, Derry proved that, um, you know, he's got the abilities at that level. When it came down to it, Adam, for me, you know, kudos to Terry Flanagan and Team Flanagan. I thought they put, fought the perfect fight. And by that, I mean, they didn't fight. They came and boxed. Yeah. And they stayed on the back foot. He used his jab superbly. His jab was just unreal all night throughout all 12 rounds. I thought his footwork was excellent. No sign of that injury whatsoever. Uh, and he just didn't engage with Derry. He just didn't. He didn't get in, involved in Derry's kind of fight. It got to the end of the twelve rounds, and you know, I, I don't remember even getting seriously rocked or seriously hurt, apart from maybe a couple of low blows on Derry. But uh, you know, it, it was one of those. It just didn't really set off. It didn't really catch fire like we kind of hoped it hoped it would, and all the fans hoped it would. And that one hundred percent, the credit for that goes with Terry Flanagan. They, they came with a game plan to outbox Derry. And he achieved it, and uh, you know I think he's. Uh, I think we're looking at the long, the beginnings, really, the early stages of a long career for him. Absolutely. In, rega- in regards to Derry, oh, of course he's got to go again. You know he can't walk away now. You know he's just done that. He's just produced that kind of performance. Obviously, there's one fight out there we all want to see, and that's Anthony Crawler. Um, I don't think Crawler will fancy Terry Flanagan. I think Crawler comes through his first successful defence in a couple of weeks. Why would you want to go down the unification route when he'll probably make more money fighting Derry Matthews, whether it's here, in, whether it's in Liverpool, sorry, or, or over in Manchester. So I think there's a big fight still looming there for Derry, that, that third fight, that rubber match with Anthony Collar, and that's the fight I know the fans want to see. He was alluding to the fact that he might get a shot at uh, Felix Vidayo, who is the number three with the WBR. He'll have to go to the States for that. I think he fancied the trip, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. I think that's the one thing missing off Derry's resume, actually, is a big fight over in the US. I think that's the one thing he'd love to do. You know, it's one of those bucket list kind of opportunities. And 100%, that's a fight he can win, and that throws him right back in the mix as well. It's just great to hear that he's in such good spirits. I know he was very low on Saturday night, as you can imagine. They prepared diligently over in uh, Marbella with, uh, you know, with, with Team Vaughan, and they were super confident going into that fight. But, uh, again, credit to Terry Flanagan for... For, for you know, producing the performance that he did, upwards and onwards for both lads. It's amazing what a day at the karaoke can do, isn't it? You know what I mean? He <laughs> does a bit of sing-song and he's all right then, 24 hours exactly. later. Always good. Uh, let's look ahead to uh, this uh, UFC this weekend. Uh, down in Brisbane, the heavyweights are going toe-to-toe. The knockout king is back in action. You'd probably expect another knockout this weekend, wouldn't you? Yeah, Mark Hunt, he's an absolute monster, isn't he? He's a colossus. And uh, this is a great fight. This is a fight that, you know... It, has it got any huge you know, impact on the, on the current heavyweight division in terms of the title? Probably not. But you've got Frank Mir, the former, the former UFC champion, and Mark Hunt, obviously the, the knockout king of the heavyweight division. It's a fun fight. It's a great fight. You know, both these guys are, are well-versed in stopping opponents. You know, this is a, a cracking card for Australia. It's taking place in Australia on Sunday, which means the timing is quite cool for the UK. It means yeah. the... The prelims start about 11 o'clock Saturday night. The, may, the, uh, the earliest fights at 11 o'clock. The prelims start at midnight. And I think the main card will start about 2 a.m. on BT Sports. So a great time for anyone who's having a drink Saturday night to come in and, and throw the UFC on nice and live. So it's a fun card, yeah. Mark Hunt's always value for money. And the last and, uh, time uh, the UFC were in Australia, obviously we saw that uh, amazing knockout from Holly Holm. Yeah, that's it. And uh, the Australian fans have, have really got... Got a taste for it now as well. You know, that main, as we touched on them, I can't see Mark Hunt versus Frank May going five rounds. That, it, it, just, it, 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 it just can't happen. You know, Frank May is the best submission, best ground fighter in the game. If it goes down, Mark Hunt's in trouble. If Frank May kisses Mark Hunt's fist, it's game over. Uh, now, at the end of last year, uh, Joe Gallagher was uh, named Ring uh, magazine trainer of the year the first british born uh, boxing trainer to do that his story is absolutely unbelievable from working in the markets at withenshaw uh, to taking on training three world champions here he is with his story you're listening to the fight disciples podcast uh, this week's special guest mr joe gallagher how are you sir not too bad adam how are you i'm very well mate first british born trainer to win ring magazine trainer of the year last time we spoke was probably about one or two days after that was announced mm. is it settled in yet no it isn't like when you're saying it there start, you just start laughing to yourself and straight away you see the publication 
uh, the Ring magazine. I bought it at the weekend. Funny enough, you bought your own magazine. No, 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 it's oh, not out it. yet. No, 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 it's not out yet. It was the one before it. Canelo Cotto. I always buy it. I subscribe to it online on the iPad and also a publication. What are you doing? Are you plugging that? You, you're now doing business for the Ring magazine. No, within no, this no, no, chat. no. Because because the magazine obviously of the rankings and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very proud that there's four fighters from the gym in the Ring mate in the top ten. I put the updated ratings up in the gymnasium and. Uh, results obviously crawlers in it this time and uh, there's a story in the Smith so that's great for this big massive the Bible of boxing to have that in there and then in, it, it was great the ring came to the, the gym a couple of weeks ago done a, a mocked up front cover <laughs> didn't they of me on it it's horrible I don't know how these uh, people deal with seeing huge images of themselves on big billboards yeah. and that. it's oh it's like oh I hate it my mum's got it I gave it my mum she can do what she wants with it so uh, yeah no I'm really chuffed and pleased with it mate come on it's a big deal. Did uh, did people that you maybe grew up admiring in the in the training world get in contact with you to maybe reinforce how big of a deal it is to be the boxing bible number one? Yeah, it, especially as a, a kid growing up, I was saying to someone the other day. I remember getting on the bus back then when I was like fifteen, sixteen. Used to get the bus in from uh, Withenshaw on a Saturday into Manchester, and used to be um, Oriental World, which is the top of Tib Street, which was a boxing shop, but just a bit further down on Tib Street on the right, there was a magazine shop, and in there was the only place you could buy boxing magazines. So there was a KO boxing magazine yeah. there was a world boxing the ring magazine and I used to come home every month with like three or four of them and be cutting them out and putting them up and making different things and it's just that was it my own little scrapbook and uh to see people um and hear from people like virgil hunter and yeah. freddie roach and stuff like that it's just stupid it sounds surreal talking now it still feels like you have to pinch yourself that you're in this situation but i suppose it won't really dawn on me until in a few years' time when you look back and go, wow, did, did that really happen? Did we really win that? But we're in the moment at the moment. Absolutely, mate. And what you mentioned with there, I want to take you back there, if that's all right. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and to the Benchill estate, what was yeah. it like growing up on there? Um, yeah, <laughs> Benchill at the time, it was, um, I moved there when I was two or three from Ardwick, born in Ardwick, and family moved to... Uh, Within show sort of like the, the garden area, wasn't it? Everyone was given a garden and everything else. But in the times growing up there in the 80s, obviously it was a declared sort of like a no-go area. Benchill was one of them areas, wasn't it? It was one of the most deprived areas in Britain at the time. Within show, one of the biggest council estates in Europe, if not the biggest council estate mm. in Europe. So, yeah, um, like you say, it was a... Uh, it's hard doing, but like anything, it isn't not necessarily a place where you come from. It's where you're at, and uh, my parents always forced me. To develop. My dad always worked. My mum did three or four jobs, cleaning, doing stuff like that, and uh, went to school, worked on the markets. I used to get up in the morning, go to Withenshaw Market, set up the stall at six in the morning, half six, hail, rain, snow, shine, whatever, then go to school, um, St. Peter's, um, primary school I used to go to from there then went to St John Blessington school and um, so then we did the markets went to secondary school came back from secondary school put the market store down then walked across the road to Withenshaw Forum and uh, boxed there with Jimmy Egan and uh, that was it and uh, I was at primary school I was doing karate at the time I think from seven till ten and I was in the last year of primary school and one of my friends said oh we're going boxing tonight we'll be able to batter you because <laughs> obviously doing a bit of karate at school you had a few moves knowing how to trip people up and that didn't you so uh, when, oh, when I said to my dad, oh, what's this boxing? And I'd always watch the, the Ali fights, these Spinks and George Foreman and the, the huge fights and sitting up listening to on the radio. So he took me down there, my mates were there and I just stuck with it. And uh, I was pleased that my mates quit. And it was just that competitive edge. Well, I stuck at it longer and before you knew it, I was involved. And next thing, a, a box for Jimmy, I was his first ever winner for Withenshaw Forum. So he was very proud. I was aged 11, five stone 12 be a kid called Kevin Morgan up at um, Middleton. And uh, ironically, he was from the uh, Gallagher's ABC gym in Oldham. Wow. And uh, it's just weird, weird isn't it, how things are. Yeah. And uh, that was it. I was hooked with boxing and I stuck with it ever since. You, you obviously mentioned in there your uh, amateur career. You had a decent amateur career. Did you ever have ambitions when you were at that stage of turning pro yourself and doing uh, and going on to what you're currently doing with the with the stable of lads that you've got? Yeah, that was a... a 
an amateur boxer, of course. Listen, you're growing up, you're watching Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Ernst, Hagler, Duran. You're buying everything. And we didn't have Sky then, did we? It was mm. World of Sport. We'd rush home. With it. You'd, take, you'd watch World of Sport and you'd get the VHS to record it. And, Betamax, get yeah, your Betamax and, on. Um, all that stuff. And I remember one day, um, Donald Curry, used to love Donald Curry. I had to, didn't have a phone. I had to go to the phone box, um, phone my mum and just said, will you put CFAX on for me, page 131 or whatever it was, Sport 140. And just see the Donald Curry beat Hunnigan. She came back, she says, no, it's come up, Hunnigan. Or oh, I was absolutely devastated. I was pleased, obviously, from the British side, but was devastated Donald Curry got beat. I just thought it was a great fight of the way that he beat Colin Jones at that time. And I was just absolutely mortified. But just things like, like that, and having two P to use the phone, yeah, 10p yeah. on a bus and having your bus there. It's just, we walked everywhere then as well. Do you know what I mean? I lived in Ben Shirley. I had to walk all the way to Peel Hall to St. John Pleasanton and home. Then I had to walk to Sharston and back and home. And Within Show was very, I wouldn't say it was very, very much tribal. Then there was Woodhouse Park, there was yeah. Benchill, there was Cross Acres, there was Sharston, there was New Old Green. Um, school wise, same thing as well. The St John Pleasanton, South Manor, New Old Green. So it was all very tribal and school times and scrapping with other schools. Yeah, we we came up a hard way, but listen, it was a great way. I wouldn't have changed anything. No, absolutely. But that's the basis of where you're currently at. And you mentioned. Your mum's work ethic, your dad's work ethic. Yeah. You must have watched them and thought to yourself, well, right, if you want to be successful, if you want to get somewhere with your own careers, you've got to put the graft in. And yeah. that's not changed. That's gone from, you've mentioned, 11, 12, 13 years of age, right through to the current present day that we're currently talking at. Yeah, I think there's a more case of where we had nothing, didn't have anything. I had four sisters. I was, I was the oldest, so was always scrapping in the playgrounds. Do you know what I mean? So uh, try to look after them or they come up to me at playtime. Joey, 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 he's just said this is, oh my God, not again, here we go. So I couldn't wait to move from primary to secondary to move away from it. But then secondary, they started to catch me up. But it wasn't just a case of that. When you become 12, 13, I think at the time, Farrow were in, um, Adidas jean and uh, Levi jeans. And you that, got the Farrachinas on, yeah, yeah, Farrah, Farrah, Farrah <laughs> on and 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 the flares and the Levi's with the split. And we had nothing. So Wrangler were in and all stuff like that. And it was, we couldn't afford that. So to afford that, I had to go work on the market and I'd put it up the store Tuesday and Thursdays, work all day on the Saturday yeah. and I remember buying my first pair of Adidas trainers out of my own money, a pair of Adidas kick and I think they're only like seventeen ninety nine. and I, thought, I bought them and I thought next I'm going to buy Samba then I saved up and I bought a pair of Farrah and a pair of Levi jeans and, a, and Adidas they had Adidas Cagoules then but they were like padded, they were really smart and uh, I just remember saying, I was so chuffed and proud that I was being to buy label stuff. That's what it's not shallow, but drove with my friends and everything else, but that's how it was. And yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. I remember playing football uh, for St. Peter's, my primary school. I played for the year I was in and the year above. And we went for the, um, the year I was in over in a, a five-a-side tournament one morning over in Wally Range area. And I played in white plimsolls and it was raining. I was slipping and sliding everywhere, everywhere. And I, that's all I'd been playing in. Nip bit of a nippy winger. And in the afternoon then, I played for the team ahead in 11 a side game, back at home. Anyway, my mum remembered turned up with these football boots. Anyway, three or four sizes too big. Got them off the, um, what was it called? The, the rag and bone store, something mm. like used boots. So I got a few pieces of newspaper, shoved them in it. And I played in them. And at half time, I thought, oh, crap, give me my white plimsolls and put them back on. But that's where you come from then. That's how it was. You had to make do. And listen, it's not a, a tear-sobbing story, but it gives you an idea of where you come. Do you understand? It was freezing cold. We had 50p meters. You had to run to the shop to get the 50p's because the electric went out. And that's how it was then. But it was a great time. We played out till the yellow light in the street came on. You came home. Um, the ice cream van man used to chase him, asking him any broken bits. <laughs> That's how it was. It was just, it was just, a, it was a great childhood, and I feel kids are lost these days with gadgets and everything else. Yeah, and we could play out, and it was just great on bikes and knock a door run and all stuff like that. So yeah, it, it was, it was a, it was a great time and a, and a great state. And I feel sometimes within shore and Benjil in particular got a bad name, but it was only a minority sometimes. So given yeah, a lot of people in there were good working class, hard working people that. A lot of good people have come from that estate. Jason yeah. Orange, for one. Yeah, I exactly. remember Jason Orange. We were mates. He lived around the corner from me. On a, um, I was on Moat Road, and he was on Broadout Road. And he used to be body popping and spinning on his back in the front garden at the time and everything else. He was 12, 13, and he used to box at Withinshaw Forum. And it's just mad people in and around there, the good people that have come from there. 
Could have been so different, Joe. You could have been in tech, that, mate. <laughs> you should have got yourself stuck in. Bit of body uh, popping. I was, I was never, never a body popper. <laughs> it was bad enough walking around the street with uh, the ghetto blaster going, Pac-Man, that was bad enough, mate. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about working on the roads with your dad. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Um, we, when, uh, when was that? Were you straight out of school? Yeah, straight that? out of school. Well, what it is, is straight out of school. That's in school, then in the fourth, fifth year at Pleasant, and you had that one day release. You go to the College of Building in Manchester, you learn a yeah. bit of brickwork, bit of plumbing, bit of carpentry, and joining. Get a trade, don't yeah, you? Get, get, a, get trade. a trade, that was it. Um, at the time, boxing, there was no GB or anything else. It was just a YTS. You either went and got a job or you went on a YTS, £17.50, yeah. it was, and um, left work anyway. And my dad said, uh, Right, okay then, you're with me on the road, at Cox as it were, doing piecework, flagging and curbing. So I went, right, all right then. I remember going out one day, anyway, um, and at the time we were working, we were um, reflagging and curbing Busby Way. So oh, I was in my element, wasn't I? So uh, at the time there, anyway, the comes, lifting the flags, everything else, hard work raining down. My dad's giving me these sandwiches proper wedges of bread, thick boiled ham meat on them and everything else. No nonsense, do you know what I mean? Typical brought up Irish way and um, that was it. So I'm stood there anyway, my dad's grafting, he's saying pass this, pass that. Anyway, I'm seeing these cars going at the time and I remember seeing Gary Bailey wow. go, going past in the Sierra and I'm like, Dad, dad, dad. And he's going, what one? Gary Bailey's, he's just gone past. He's gone past. And my dad's gone, F Gary Bailey. <laughs> I, he's not coming out here to pay to watch me work. Now pass me like this and pass me that. Next thing, so it's there. Seen Jesper Olsen. Went, dad, dad, Jesper Olsen. <laughs> anyway, listen, if you carry on, I'll wrap that shovel around your head and I'll get your head down here and start working. So that was it then. So I was working with him, kept wheelbarrowing concrete up and down that. And I remembered that day, one of them days that week, I went then at night, I went and boxed in Wales. It was my first senior fight, age 17, I was at the time. And I boxed and I won. And I thought to myself, Joe, because so, some kids, and amateurs, you were like, day off school, you've got a fight and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. I've been working all day in the rain, concrete, wheelbarrowing concrete, so up and down Busby Wave, my old man. And then I went home that night, fought in Wales on one. And I just thought, that day of rest is nonsense, do you know what I mean? I thought it was great, but uh, yeah, no, working with my dad and doing all that stuff, uh, they were great days and a, a right smack of reality then as well. You worked at airport for a bit as well, didn't you? Yeah, I worked at the airport. And at the time then, obviously, I'd, uh, I'd moved gyms from um, Jim Egan's, I'd moved to uh, Phil Martin's and Moss Side. I was boxing for Moss Side ABC. Um, and at the time, you were working. And the thing and everything else, like I said to you, there was no lot of refunding you needed to be able to dress, buy boxing equipment and everything else and just turn up boxing. There's nowhere. And my mum and dad, and my dad was very authoritative and went, listen, you're out grafting. <coughs> We've got no money to give you. If you want them raised boxing gloves or raised head guard, you get out and earn it. So then it becomes a fine line then when it's like, oh, this boxing and boxing suffered a little bit then because I went working then because obviously I was 17, 18 and earning like, at the time it was like £200 a week. I was like, wow. I remember walking in the next and buying two jackets thinking it was absolutely brilliant when my mates were on 17 a week, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, It's just silly things. You can look back and laugh over it now, but like I say, working there then and then um, obviously working at the airport um, with Thomas Cook, uh, my, it was FLS, then my travel, then Thomas Cook and uh, coaching alongside. And it's just, yeah, it, it's uh, it's been a tricky road along the way. And then in the end, I had to uh, bite the bullet and go, nah, 100% boxing all the way in. And uh, it was a big jump because I was, I said, working Thomas Cook, working nights, finishing at seven o'clock, taking the lads on the track at eight o'clock, going home, go to bed for three hours, going to the gym, um, training the lads, coming home back to work and I was shattered by the end of the week and I got to a point obviously with Macklin and John Murray fighting for Europeans I thought listen if I'm doing this now with little sleep imagine what it would be like without it and uh, at the time I had a private health free holidays great job overtime job for life um, but I thought nah loads can do this job there isn't many that can do what I can do I'll be looking the privilege and the job that I can do so I knocked it on the head and went full time coaching well, before you went full-time, obviously, you mentioned Phil Martin's name there. What's that conversation like when uh, he invites you in to say, yeah, can you come and help me out with X, Y and Z and get you involved in that world of training? Has, has training been in your mind when you were an amateur boxer or or was it brand new to you at that point? No, 15 or 16 when, like I say, or even with 16, 17 when I was a, a senior and we were going to shows with Jimmy and you didn't get on and there's little kids warming up, Dave Burrows, Eddie Nevins, and you'd warm them up on the pads and you'd give them a little advice. And I'd be sat there sometimes watching a fight and I uh, think come back and I'd go, 
shout from the crowd, shouting to no, do this and do that. And just subconsciously myself thinking, now nah, I'm reading this better than, mm. no disrespect to Jimmy Great and everything else. But I just think, now nah, I'm beginning to see things a little bit that, that they're not, do you know what I mean? And uh, I, I had the bug then a little bit. I, I wanted to and... I was always helping the kids and say, oh, I'll take it. And I'd say, Jim, oh, I'll help them out. Or when I was at my side helping kids, I, I, it was in me wanting to, it was in me and give advice. And uh, I always wanted to do it. I, I believe I always wanted to. I remember dad saying one day, because I was harboring and boxing and in a dilemma working, he went, listen, can you, he said, can you punch like Bruno? I'm like, no. He says, all right. And he says, can you walk around like that Eubank fella, a gimmick like Eubank? I went, no. So you can do none of the either. He got boxing news ratings out of me. He says, look at them hundreds of fellas there that are trying to make it a pro. How many of them are millionaires? So, yeah. He says, so knock that on the head. Now go and get a job or go coaching, one of the two, but that's not yours. And as brutal as it was, it was like, no, nah, you're right. And that was it then. And uh, I was training at Phil's. And ironically, at the time, Phil was saying, obviously, he was there. Champs camp was flying. Yeah. Um, I was in there in the day, not doing nothing, had nothing else to do. I was just sat there in the gym with Phil, in the offices with Ensley, Steve Walker, and just sucking all the knowledge. Phil was studying videotapes of opponents for Frank Crant, Paul Burt, Morris Coe, Ensley Bingen. And I was watching and learning what he was seeing. And then he had hundreds of videos and he'd give me like five at night and go, take them home and label them up for me, tell me what's on them and watch this fight. And I'd go home, label them up and watch them and come back and he'd go, what did you see in that fight? What do you think? I went this and this and he'd go, mm, did you not see that? So he was say, teaching yeah. me how people, general public view a fight, but now nah, you're looking for habits and stuff like that. And that was the biggest education I had there. And I liken the two from Jimmy Egan was very much like Mickey out of Rocket. And Phil was very much like Ivan Drago's trainer. He was on heart monitors. He was well ahead of his time, heart monitors, nutrition and everything else. And I had the best of both worlds. Sometimes I use a bit of Jimmy and sometimes I use a lot of Phil. And having the knowledge and learning a fight and reading a fight, I got that. Even before that, I was always buying them 50s and 60s videos of Rocky Marciano and all the old school fighters, Sugar Ray Robinson. I've got them still all at home and uh, just that's where you got your education and that's where I got it from Phil and breathing that. And then Phil said one day the amateurs, whatever happened, weren't thriving or there was no coach. And he said to me, listen, do you want to start running the amateurs for me? So I went, yeah, all right. Then he says, listen, you got carte blanche. What you say goes. So I'm like, right, wow. And I remember my first a couple of months with novices, we've got two champions and then I had my first national champion and in the first season we won 27 out of 31. Mm. The second season won 40 out of 44 and we're like, wow. And Levi was getting called up for England and Phil got to the ABA semi-finals and just different things like that. And it's like, things are happening. And not only that though, Moss side, ABC at the time, there was a bit of a, not a lot of people in the area liked them because when Phil was coming in, that they were coming in and these kids, novices at the time, they were very professional in their approach. They were coming in and beating good established kids that they weren't supposed to be beating and they couldn't work out, but they were hungry kids and they're the winning formula and I was carrying that on and carrying that name on and uh, I, I was so proud to be in the corner wearing the Mossai jacket and part being part of Champs Camp. Into professional ranks, you are now, as we said, right at the start of this number one when it comes to uh, training uh, according to Ring Magazine you must then be approached by quite a lot of fighters to say hey Joe can you train me what is your process there because you can't train everybody you ain't got enough time in uh, and hours in the day so you have no doubt you've turned people down and said listen we can't do this but what is your thought process what are you looking for when uh, a pro comes to you and says I want you to train me um well, at the moment, there's just no room at the inn. There's people at the inn, and I'm very happy, and I don't necessarily need to train a fighter. My wins will go medal at the Olympics. I might most most take on a kid who's like 20-odd and 167, but if there's a desire driver willing to learn, they've got big ears and a small mouth, then we could be in business. If you've got small ears and a big mouth, there's no, no, no nothing happening for you because you've got to listen. That's the thing, and some fighters just don't listen, and they stop listening, they stop learning. I've always got to, I go to America, we take our lads to America, go to the Wild Caribbean and the gyms, because I'm always learning. I remember meeting Emmanuel Stewart here, and Tommy Hearns was there. I said to Billy, can I come in and see Naz and all that? He says, yeah. But I met Emmanuel Stewart, I said, I'm not here to see Tommy Hearns and Naz, I'm here to meet you. 
I had a good 15 minutes picking his brains. What did you work on? Technique mm. listen. We've got a Freddie Roaches. I pick his brains. I watch the other trainers that come in the gym and watch and learn. And I expect the same for fighters when they go into that establishment. Watch and learn other fighters. You can watch an awful lot and learn an awful lot by just sitting and watching, not participating and being willing to, as Scott says, sacrifice. But if it's something that you love, it isn't a sacrifice, but you have to do make the sacrifices of not going out of the meals and different things like that. And I think taking a fighter on board... Scott Quigg fights Carl Frampton. Ophid Burton have had a kid since age 11 fights for the British Light Heavyweight title on that same night. I'll be just as pleased for Ophid Burton to win that British Light Heavyweight title. It means as much to me that as Scott Quigg does beating Carl Frampton. That's how much because there's a kid there that's come through the hard way, had some hard knocks and lucky breaks through the pros, and he's coming through, and this is his big moment, mm. and I want him to win as much as I do Scott Quigg, and that's it. And that's a kid that turned over, ABA champion, hasn't had really the big backing or the fanfare of, like you say, he was overlooked for the Team GB squad, but he's got that underdog thing that I like about him and that siege mentality that we have in our gymnasium. A lot of the fighters have had knockbacks, Anthony Crawler has, Paul Smith, Stephen Smith, all been wrote off, but do you know what? It's like, nah, we'll show him. And that's just a mentality and I, I, I like that underdog fight. I, I don't like the egos, the um, entourages. Just give me a kid that wants to go in there Knuckle down and put two things up to him. All right, we'll show him. That that's what I want from fighters. This isn't a question on edge, by the way. But do you see yourself as a, a father figure as well? Um, I think as a boxing trainer, I won't say a father figure. I think you're a number of roles. I think you're you're a counselor at times. I think you're a priest at times. There's a lot of things to take on, and uh, I think that's just the relationship you have with the fighters. I was thinking that. Do you know what? That's so scary. Yesterday, I was thinking um, about the Smiths. Crawler, Scott Quid, Scott Cardle, and I just thought, you know what? You couldn't beat a better bunch of lads to work alongside. They with. seem to all get on with each other. They all like get on socially with... and various things but, but, like but, that. But, but, but well, just train together. Yeah, but just from where they've come from, mm. that they've got great families around them. Scott Cardle's got a great, passionate family around him. Anthony Crawler has parents. The Smiths family, Scott Quigg's family, Ophie's family, Marcus Morrison. Just got a fantastic. They've all got great family values, and I just thought to myself because sometimes. Yeah, Alex Ferguson, he always wanted his players to settle down. There's some people in boxing say you shouldn't get your fighters domesticated too soon to lose an edge. I know Brendan Ingle was big on that. But I just thought, so Jot, I seen the fighters there, they were happy with the kids yesterday and everything else. And I thought, Jot, that's fantastic. Just to have that team team bond and that family affair within the gym. And the gym is like a family affair. It's a, it's an extended part of their own family into an environment and I always say to the lads, this ain't got to last forever. It'll be over in five, seven years. Enjoy it while it's here. It's our moment and enjoy it. And uh, I'm so proud and privileged to, to work with them. I was thinking that yesterday. So going back to my original question of the type of guys that you look for to take on and train, probably similar values then towards yourself because everything that we spoke about previously, that's the background and world that you come from. The guys that you're training are in effect just younger versions of yourself. Yeah, I suppose. Morally? So. Yeah, morally, yeah. I've, I've never really self-sat down and self-analysed, but yeah, morally, That's yeah. what we're here for, Joe. That's what we're no, doing No, right no, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, definitely, but uh, like you say, um, they've, uh, there's... there's, there's Go, uh, going on that, just to interrupt you, and, and this is a valid point, which agents, uh, promoters, trainers, they get a bad rap, right, within the world of boxing. A lot of people... Rightly saw some of them. Yeah, rightfully saw some of them, but that then tars the brush of everybody. Um, now I know that your attitude towards for example the cut of the purse is totally different than the majority of other people and that is what I'm talking about regarding your honesty and morals towards your lads that you are training on a day to day basis that then instills trust from them into you and that's probably why you're having so much success in the gym yeah I suppose so I, I, I understand we're in such a brutal sport and I know it's great and we know at the arena but every time them lads step into the ring, that's somebody's child, mm. and I'm responsible for them. And just like when I was a coach, age 23, 24, taking 11, 12 years all around the country, the parents were putting their trust in me to look after their little Paul, Johnny, Scott, whatever, do you understand? And that's never left me, because at the end of the day, I need to return them home on the front door with a winner's medal, and then they get the adulation of the parents, they get treats off the grandparents, and that's no different on a bigger scale with the professionals. What I don't like then is then when people, when the kids who are taking these are trying to come in and take money off them. Mm. These kids are putting their life on the line and 
I want the kids to have the most money that they can have, earn the most that they can have, and come out with the marbles still intact that they went in. What I don't want is people, when you see the likes of, I'm not singling people out, but the Smiths, Crawler, Quig at the moment, then all of a sudden people start circling around them, start talking, and I think to myself, where we used two years ago, mm. where we used three years ago in promotional difficulties, where we used in managerial, where we used, and I'm like, nah, you're not here for the quick book, not a cat and else chance, and I'm very back up when I see a new face being brought into the gym, I go, oh, I. <laughs> Do you understand? Because I just... Mate, 100%. Because I've seen it, and I've seen it, and you look through all the history of all the fighters and everything in the past, all things with the relationships that's gone right with the trainer, all start getting pear-shaped when a third party comes involved. Mm. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. It wasn't broke. And now all of a sudden, this person has opinion, but where was your opinion? It's very much... I did coaching uh, football, got me FA badge coaching for my son's teammate down at Hale United, aged 11. And I remember being there. And it's very much like when I coach the young kids. They bring a kid to you and say, my son wants to box, you're brilliant. You'd learn him how to box, he fights, he wins his first fight. Brilliant. The mum and dad's brilliant. All of a sudden gets to seven and no, it's great. All of a sudden the dads, just like the football teams, will go, I don't think he should play in that position. Oh, what? I don't think we should fight him. Oh, hang on a minute. For the last two years, you've allowed me full control to get to here, get mm. to 7 0, and you trusted my judgment here. Now to here, you're not trusting it, you're questioning it. And the same from the fighters, everyone's questions are here. They've got to here. But that's when I don't like it, when people start getting involved. That that That's the side of it that I don't like, and that's where people think, my back gets up, I'm not sociable, it's like, nah, I don't suffer fools easily, I'm very protective of fighters, and I hate the kids who are going in there, taking the blows, smack on, to feel that they've got to get done by any quick quick coming or shorts or Joe trickster. That's, that's why I just want the kids to get as much as they can, enjoy it and come back, and without being... Bitter, I had done over. Funny enough, I see Ronnie O'Sullivan at the weekend all over Twitter flushing somebody out where he's been done for over £125,000. Mm. And, and there is people like that out there, do you understand? And people think, oh, I, we want a bit of that. And they, get, they can talk to them and get their ear and very, uh, yeah, it's a bad subject. That would be. Mate, that's why I asked you, because yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that you're passionate about it. And mm. probably one of the most famous cases, I think I've seen Brendan Ingle talk about his situation with Naz, obviously, when they were coming up together. Uh, third parties getting involved with Naz because he was the superstar of British boxing in the 90s and therefore uh, turning his head and he took his eye off the ball in the gym and all this type of stuff and we saw what happened in the Barrera fight and then he ended up calling it a day far too easy when he could have probably re, uh, realigned himself and got himself back in and refocused and become um, the world superstar that we all expected him to go and become. Yeah, I, I always look at what's gone before yeah, yeah. and always try and adjust and I, I look at um, the situation in the past <coughs> more famously so with Ricky Hatton and Billy Graham and the fact they were inseparable, had a great yep. bond, got to a level, and you just think, how did that break down? Was it third parties, other people talking, or we're not built, and we've never come from, like myself, or like people say Mike Tyson, Scott Quick, we've never been built to know how to deal with big money, how to deal, we had no TV training, we had no media training, they're just fighters, I'm just a trainer, you're thrust into front of the spotlight fight night, that's your question, you've got to go bang, footballers do it, mm. and they get trained for it. So then when you look at like the Ricky Hatton, where he come from and that money, and Billy Graham, where he come from that money, and did it affect... Changes did it, people. Changes people. Yeah. So I'm very, very aware of that. that, that mistake doesn't happen for us and our fighters, and I'm very aware then when lads have a good win, mm. like Cam Smith beat Rocky Fielding, usually have the Sunday off. But because I didn't want Anthony Crawler thinking, I was like, oh, right, willing on it. I made Anthony Crawler come in the gym on a Sunday just to let him know, nah, that's gone now. It's about you now. And I'm not resting on my laurels, do you understand? And I wanted to put that point across to my fighters. And like I said earlier, the success we've had over the 12 months, some trainers out there, heads would fall off of it, sit back and think that's it. But nah, that's, I'm very much like Marino, that's gone. Forget that. It's on about now. I want to do that again with Stephen Smith, Callum Smith this year. Bring Paul back. Scott to go in for two titles. Correlative, isn't it? And I want to prove people that that award that was bestowed on me this year, which was a fantastic achievement. It's a night in the I'll win that again. That's not a fluke. And I'll, I'll prove that now we are good and it wasn't no fluke. It's just in me that. It very rarely goes wrong. For you and your fighters, I mean, that streak wasn't it? Right up until Paul, obviously, with, with his uh, shot with Abraham. Um, do you ever look at now, just with a bit of hindsight, look back, he said, there was a bit of a mistake there. I, I made, a, I personally made a mistake, maybe giving the wrong game plan, the wrong advice, or any particular moment that you would look at now and think to yourself. But that then drives you going forward. Um, 
We've, um, because you very rarely get it wrong. Let's be straight. Well, I think Macklin and, and Sturm, I don't think I got it wrong. I just, John, when you've absolutely give all in everything, and I absolutely gave all in that camp, and Matthew gave me all in that camp. And when they say, if you do right, it'll work itself out. I looked over to Sky halfway through the fight, and they're all like, at your four up, five up, things up. And I thought, Macklin started fast. I thought, get the rounds in the bank. Sturm's can't come back. And I thought, we're up here. Just got to see the bell out. And then at the end, when we didn't get it, I'm I'm not ashamed to say it. I just had to take myself to the side out of the camera shot. I broke down, crying. I just thought, how can I do that? We've won this fight. We've put so much into it. And it hurt me. Paul Smith, Abraham, I just thought to myself, Paul did everything he can. I thought, all right, and I jumped in at the ring at the end thinking, Joe, what? We might get a draw here. It's one at one point, innit? But that hurt me, the majority of it. And I just think, how can people do that type of stuff? So that drives me on. Anthony Crawler, Dallas Perez in Manchester. Two points at the end. So I just say to the lads, if that can happen as you're the hometown fighter and still yeah. not get it, nothing's ever going to... So don't take home advantage, home corner, anything that's any guarantee. It's a load of nonsense, do you understand? So it's them things that drive me on. As far as doing the wrong things, I wouldn't say so much on fight night, but I do feel in training, maybe if I've been talked into one session too many, all right, and then I think to myself, when I come can I just say, can I just say, Scott Quigg is sat in the corner of this interview at this moment in time. I know this is a Joe Gallagher special, but he sat in the corner, and when he said being talked into a session one too many, he looked at Scott because I know how meticulous Scott is and how much he wants to be in the gym training. No, but sometimes, and then I come, <laughs> I, I've come away from that session driving home, going, little prayer, please. That's don't not let, one too many. Yeah, yeah. That not one too. We haven't. I'll go overcut and left it in the night. Do you understand? Um, Another thing, but it's decisions before fight night, whether it be the opponent arguing over the opponent, arguing over the gloves, all different things like that that'll determine. And the one thing the manager steward always said to me, never forget the small things. It's the small things that matter and they don't 12 weeks out, but come fight night, they'll become the most important things. And I never forgot that. Small things as in? Gloves, gloves. size of the ring, ring walks, different things, just just very small amount of things. Where like they people, stay the night before, all know, these types all of things. All different things, all the, the pre-planning, very much like going sight wrecking. I like to go to the arena on the day, have a walk around, have a feel for a place, see where everything is, change rooms, all different types of things like that, just meticulous, having our own water, the whole, whole, whole thing. I've asked everybody that's done a special with me, what's left to achieve? I mean, you've achieved an awful amount, but what is now next for you? But, it's it's nice to say that, and it's only mostly when I look back and, like I said, when the Ring magazine comes out and you see it and you've achieved, but I don't feel I have. I don't feel I have, to be honest. I don't feel I have. I think it's great the Smiths have done, but I don't think it's great. I do feel they had the natural talent to do that. I think it's great what Anthony's crawler done. I do feel there's been a lot of arguments with people along the way to get Anthony to where he was, and it was great Eddie Hearn getting the rematch, but Anthony always had that ability to do that. Scott Quigg had that ability, had that dedication, the desire. I've seen it in LA. Certain moments in life along the way, they all have it. It's dragging it out of them. Mm. Scott Kyle, Ophi Burton, all had it. All I've been able to do is been able to press the right buttons in them and pull it out of them where other people might not. And I think that's more down to them than it is more to me. But as I far think as you're doing yourself a little bit down. No, I understand. Because that. that's a great coach. A great coach, to, to, you know, presses the right buttons in order to bring out, like you say, no, but, 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 but is there, within them, there's people that I've worked on in the past, and I haven't been able to, to I wouldn't say I haven't, I, I, I was doing, but they decided to Not, turn... They didn't give you the response that you wanted. Yeah, they turned their ears off. So I have a problem with one or two fighters at the moment in the gym that they turn their ears off and they've got to come and stop very shortly. I feel if it doesn't happen, one or two have got to lose and um, they've got to be in a sticky position this year, but there's time to, to um, change and adapt and learn and, and try to get the point home and... Uh, Youth is a great thing. Some people have a youth at six months and some is 10 years. Some is it's 15 years and still not learning. But you're only in this for a short time. And I, I, I feel for the age that I am, I, 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 there's a lot more that I want to achieve. There's more as a, like I said earlier, there's a lot of coaches out there that be happy with it. And I, I think to sit back at the end of the year and go, wow, three world champions, two British champions, Ring Magazine, life doesn't get no better. And it's like, nah, it does. And it can do, and there's a well, lot there's of the potential to have two more world champions this year at least. Yeah, it's 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 the coaching to bring Marcus Morrison, Jose Burton, getting them to fulfilled, getting them to where I think they can be. Scott Crawler, the Smiths, they're there to an extent now. That it's down to them to absolutely lock on now. The doors are opening. They've got to dedicate themselves, Stephen and Callum, that they've never dedicated themselves and make sure because the opportunity that's coming their way soon, they'll never get it again, and they can't be sat at home and miss that moment. 
they've got to go out there and grab it. And that that, that comes from, it. you mentioned Anthony though, that comes from, because I know that you were at the forefront of pushing forward with Eddie, said, listen, give this kid the opportunity and he will not let you down. That's what you're saying there about grabbing the opportunity because you know how hard you had to fight to get that opportunity for Anthony and obviously he's not let anybody down and he's, and he's grabbed it. No, no, definitely. I think Stephen Smith saw it. I think he, his career, he's had fantastic nights, his Pajero. It's been a stop-start, bit of a stutter the last two or three years while they've been dealing with governing bodies and rankings and politics. But he's got the opportunity now. He's age 30. Time isn't on his side. All them people have put time and effort into him over these last 10, 12 years. Amateur clubs, amateur coaches, his girlfriend, his family, everything else. He can't go and screw that up now and throw it away and lose it. He's got to look at himself in the mirror and go and do this. He's mm. got no one else to blame. The opportunity is there now. He's fighting for it. He's got to do it. And the same for Callum Smith. I'll do the best that I can do. But when the bell rings, they step down and they've got to go and deliver it. But it's all in the preparation. If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. But these kids have got a huge chance of making history three British three world champions from the one family Paul already fought for it that's an unbelievable piece of history that and they've got the chance to go out and make history don't miss out on being part of history and uh, as far as myself coaching well there's a lot still I need to do I want to go to America I want to crack at American fighter and um, people say oh I won't give it up I will but uh, just not yet. I, there's a lot of people that I still want to prove wrong who said when I was 11, oh, you can't box. When I was 16, got to be a coach and 18 and you won't be a coach. What do you know? Became an amateur coach, kids Olympics, ABAs, won every national title with an amateur boxer, pro coach. What do you know? You're, you're only good as an amateur coach. He doesn't know enough about pro coaches. Yeah, that's a fluke, that one British title, John Murray. Yeah. Next thing, oh, he can't do it. Yeah, he can't win a world champion. Got three light buses all came at once. That's it. So it's just like, now nah, I'll prove it again. I'll prove it again. I'll prove it again. And my fighters, I want them to become them superstar fighters that we've had in the past in Britain, the Naz, the Hatton, mm. or in popularity, but Crawler, Smiths, Quig. I want them to be all household names. When, on the rare occasion, you do actually switch off, what do you do? I'll walk the, the, the dogs, <laughs> um, uh, go for breakfast on Saturdays uh, with my kids, sofa. Um, Curtis, my son's doing very well. That's about it. Sat Sunday's the worst day for me. Uh, I it sounds I go to a church or sofa, um, go have a bit of breakfast and then was just chill. But when it gets like four or five o'clock, it must be in bed. I start getting itching, start packing my gym bag. <laughs> ready to go tomorrow. Ready to go. go. Start texting the lads the times, what they're doing, everything else. Saturday morning, we always do the runs, everything else. Um, most we do the pictures of the kids, watch a film. That's about it. Whatever boxing's on, I'll, I'll try and box, watch. Um, if not, I have to record it and get up early in the morning and watch it because um, the kids rule and everything else. So, no, that's it. But very much, I, I think that's what I mean. Scott Quigg get on. I, we don't feel it's a sacrifice. It's not a job. I don't feel like it's a job. It's mm. You're loving something you do. It's part of life. That's your life. I feel you, you find your niche in life and that's it. And uh, it isn't a sacrifice. I love it. I love going to the gym. I get into the gym on Mondays. Sunday nights, I think to myself, gym playlist getting a bit boring. And I sit there and she'll go, what are you doing? And I go, doing a playlist for the lads. Well, can the lads not do that? They like their own music. And I go, well, no, I'll do it. Like, the other night we had the four tops on, we downloaded oh, the song. reach out. Oh, oh, oh reach but, out, oh. man. Well, Carl, we watched Carl's trailer for yeah, good tune. We're like, we'll throw it back. We, we had on the other night a bit of backstabbers and all that stuff on. So the old sold ones are all going. So we all mix it up. And this and Scott Cardo's always in there with Rick Ross and Crawler. <laughs> And Crawler with his Kardashians, he does our head in with his bit of music, whatever he likes. So, uh, no, but listen, we mix it up all the time. And it's just really good, do you know what I mean? The Smiths, Deacon, Blue and Paul and all that. But that, that's what I'm saying. It's just a it's a great environment, a great workplace. And I think very much when you look back at successful teams in the past of the GB team, the Man United time, the Liverpools in the 70s and everything else, there was that team and, and, and they bonded together, they gelled together and they're on the pitch together as a team. When you've seen years ago... Beckham arguing something, you had Keane, Gary Neville, everyone around John Stand, and that's it. And my hours, you see them fight, they're all there, mm-hmm. everyone's there. And uh, listen, it, it's great. And Manchester should be so proud of them. Not just Manchester, but Britain. Joe, it's been a pleasure, mate. Cheers, thank you. It's an incredible story where what Joe's, you know, from where he's come from to what he's achieved in the sport. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I'll hold my hands up. I was one of the people that a few years ago actually questioned. Uh, Joe Gallagher, when he when he was getting such a strong stable, certainly when all the Smith brothers went up there to join him, I didn't think he'd really proved himself, and uh, you know I didn't know whether he, he had the tacti- tactical ability to uh, 
you know, to turn to turn what was Liverpool's prized four brother asset into world champions. But you know, congratulations, Joe. I'll hold my hand up like a lot of people. I'll eat a little bit of humble pie and say, boy, has he proved us all wrong. You know, to win the Ring, Ring Magazine Award for, for Trainer of the Year is something very special, you know, and uh, I, I know that's something that's, that he should cherish, really, the rest of his career, what a, what a pinnacle that is, but it speaks for itself what he's done. You know, he's, he's made world champions there, he's, he's polished some rough stones into real diamonds, and, uh, you know, it's no surprise, really, that's one of the hottest camps in the UK. Doesn't look like it's going to stop any time soon, either, because you mentioned the Smith brothers, Stephen's got his date, finally, He's going to be over in the States. You wouldn't back against him, would you? Oh, definitely not. No, of course not. You know, it was, it was only a couple of years ago, Adam, that we were, you know, myself and the, even the, the rest of the brothers included, everyone was saying that Stephen was the best. Stephen had the most ability. Uh, he's had, he had a small setback in his pro career, but my God, has he put that back on track now? And, you know, in truth, we could get to the end of 2016 and we could have three, you know, they, they might even have four world titles you know, in the Smith family sitting on the Christmas table. Well, I don't want to you know, show with, off, with Nick. I don't want... Unbelievable. Nick, I don't want to show off, but at uh, Christmas 2015, I made that exact prediction that all four Smith brothers would fight for a world title. I just had a feeling that Paul will get his mitts back in there. We spoke to him recently. You'll be able to get that if you subscribe to the podcast. He's uh, allegedly done a little bit of an handshake. He's done a bit of a cuddle with Felix Sturm, and if he agrees that fight, I'd fancy yeah. him to take him, because Sturm's... He's not a spring chicken at 37. No, he isn't. No, and, uh, you know, that's the thing with Paul, you know, and Liam, Liam Beefy always laughs about it. You know, Paul falls out of a window and, you know, and he lands in a bed of roses. <laughs> but you've got to be in it to win it. And that's the thing with Paul, you know, you can't keep a good man down, if you like. And, you know, he's had a couple of shots at world titles, but who would, who would say he, he doesn't deserve a shot at Felix Dame? Of course he does. You know, he's proved in the past, similar to Derry this weekend, he's proved he's genuine world class. If he gets a shot at Felix Dame, I tell you, my money would definitely be on Paul Smith to win a world title. So, in theory, four world titles sitting on the Christmas table that come the end of this year. What, what an incredible achievement that would be. And, you know, talk about team of the year. That's, that's BBC Sports Personality of the Year nomination shortly. Next time with the Fight Disciples. Make sure you hit the subscribe button because you get exclusive content from the likes of Kelbrook, who... He's doing a little bit of baking for Kevin Busier. You're going to taste some nice chocolate brownies off me. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.